the diamond I Empathy Museum presents A Mile in My Shoes. These shoes are a pair of red slip-ons. They are well polished and have a rounded toe. They have a small rusted chain going across the front and look similar to the shoes worn by Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. These shoes belong to Eva. This is her story. Eva Dixon. Everyone knows me as Eva. Actually, my full name, because my nephews and nieces laughed the first time they heard it recently, is Evelyn. I came to the UK from Kenya in 2000 and there's a friend that actually lived in Southampton. So I was due to start my MBA in Portsmouth University and as it were, um, ended up in Southampton because um, accommodation was quite expensive so you end up living with friends. And as I did, um, she was studying to be an accountant and I thought at the time, maybe I'll try and see if I can get a job as an accountant and live in Southampton. Over the 20 years, it's changed a lot. At the time, if I saw anyone that was actually black like me, you'd say hello to them because there was very few of us and we tended to know each other as well. So the first thing you did is smiled and say hello. But these days, um, it's very multicultural, very, you know, the people from lots of different um, countries come in. Of course, uh, over the last 10 years, of course, lots of European, Eastern European as well. So it's very, very multicultural. But what I love about Southampton is just... Um, the breadth of things you can do and people as well and culture you can meet literally anyone from any part of the world in Southampton what remains the same actually is the African among the African women the ethos there so I joined a group of um, women African women in Southampton um, one to just have friends and have some, something to do at a weekend people who've got similar views similar background and things like that and over the years, what we've done is just helped each other out through difficult times, through lovely times, but as well as that, really immersed ourselves in the city through projects that we do that's cross-cultural, not just for African women. I love people. I love talking to people. I love engaging with people and bringing people together through... I love dancing as well. I love music and food. You can get any type of food you want. I've said I'm a foodie. <laughs> So literally, you can go to Southampton and you can walk into any shop and if I wanted ugali, which is a Toji maize flour meal from Kenya, I can walk in and in a shop I can go and within half an hour I can be in my house preparing a Kenyan meal with a group of people, English, Eastern European, Americans and Kenyan and we are sat there enjoying a Kenyan meal made in Southampton, cooked in Southampton by a Southampton resident and I love that. So we started first, as I said, as a self-help group. So what it was mainly was if we wanted to get together to have a party, get some food and just get some dance, we would meet and everyone would contribute some money. And because at the time there was plenty of work going on, um, relatively people didn't have as much problems, we were all able to just put in and do. Unfortunately, the pandemic's really impacted on us quite badly. Actually, some members have lost their lives or lost lives of people that we know. So over the last couple of months, it's been very difficult. And how that's changed, um, I'm a finance professional, say. So in terms of helping people get into work with things like interview skills, 
and one of the co-founders, Chantel, who's actually worked for the Job Centre, she's worked with um, immigrant communities and refugees, both in Ireland and the UK as well, has been great because she's very people-focused and is very focused on making sure she can help, very empathetic as well. So it's been very good for us to see people come from a place where they're really dick and dub. Actually, one of the stories that I might say very sad was um, a certain lady, which I won't go into all the details, but it was quite sad. But it was in a situation where her partner died and she wasn't able to access any of the help that anyone might get. So she reached out and people were able to dig deep and try and help to get to a situation where she could actually even afford to live because she couldn't. And these are cases that we see time and time again. But for me, especially now in Southampton and everything that's happening with uh, racial tension, it's encouraging those conversations, being cohesive and talking together and integrating as well. I mean, I think I told you before with my neighbours during the pandemic, I was outside and I was teaching them a Kenyan song and it's called Nyama Nyama, which means meat meat. And if it's something that you can eat, you jump up. And it's something you don't eat, you just remain. And you go around until there's a winner, the person who stays there. So I was there with my neighbors because I was playing it with my daughters first and the neighbors, and they really love it. So there was a time I sat there, and all I had was English neighbors with the kids doing nyama nyama because my children didn't want to play it. And we were all sat there enjoying it and doing it and laughing and just having cohesion and really, you know, not talking about really loving each other's culture. And that to me is what's important. <laughs> We still need to have more conversations, I think. There are people who are very narrow-minded. And if I'm sure she won't mind saying it, there's someone that I know who said before their parents knew me, and she said that, frankly, she said the parents were very, very racist. And the first thing they would say when they talked to someone is, why are you talking to that person? Can't you see they're not the same color as you? And they met me, and I knew even before I met the mom that the mom was like that, but I thought... The only way to influence people is actually through having intelligent conversations with them. And we sat, and I wasn't judging because you don't know what background people have got. So we were just talking about normal, genuine things. And I didn't even try to, you know, um, influence what her thoughts were. But it was just through talking as normal people. And I've met them several times. And actually, this particular person now says her mom's got a totally different view. So as you can see, it's through conversations and as you say, walking in someone's shoes, really getting to get their points of view, that's when you realize and you break down the barriers. I think I said, I mentioned something about the Ubuntu spirit, which is the spirit of togetherness in Africa. And actually in Kenya as well, our first president, President Moi, no, he wasn't our first president, he was the second president, thank you, pardon, after independence, um, he called it Harambe, which is the spirit of pulling together to do something great. And this is something that for me in Kenya, you can see schools have been built out of that, Children have been educated, children who are orphans. In the 80s and 90s, we had a lot of AIDS orphans. And through the spirit of Arambe, which is the community coming together and everyone putting a little bit into the pot and helping out those who were less disadvantaged, communities were able to grow. So if I was to explain to people, I would say, talk about that. Bring in the spirit of Ubuntu, the spirit of Arambe, bringing people together. But also, it has to be fun. So I think about music, dance, food, where there's music, dance, food, you get a common language. So it's looking at that and making sure that you've got a common language as well that everyone understands and everyone can enjoy. I was traveling from Southampton and to Reading where I have some relatives and for some reason they had to go and sit, they had to see me and they had to see me face to face. And I didn't understand why they had to see me, but I just kept thinking something wasn't okay and I didn't know what it was. I knew my mum was poorly and she was in hospital 
but it wasn't that it was a life threat it was not life threatening as far as i knew so um i got there and they broke the news and all of a sudden i transformed from a young carefree 24 year old to nothing it was it was it was awful it was such a dark place that i don't know i yeah, it took a while to get out of there. I went into such total darkness. And one of the things I can really thank my ex-husband for that is he came through and he tried. He got me out of really that dark place. I didn't think I would get out. And, um, yeah, helped me come out of that. It was, I, I just cannot explain. My whole world had collapsed. Was still, I couldn't even go for her funeral. I didn't have money, so I had to then come back. I stayed in Reading for a bit, then I had to come back down south, but with no friends, no money, and it was not a good place to be. I had to grow up a lot as well, quite quickly, actually, because of that, and um, also learned that life goes on. Life has to carry on. Now, if I just talk about when um, I found out I was expecting my child, um, We'd been trying for a child for maybe about three months. I'm usually quite an impatient person. <laughs> three months seemed like a lifetime. And it was weird because it was um, around the time my mama died. And also we'd gone to a wedding and that was my ex-husband's cousin's wedding in Austria. But that was around the time um, I conceived. And it was interesting because all of a sudden I knew without a shadow of doubt it was going to be a girl. And I said my mom had been reborn. And that was strange. And I remember in hospital, you know, a couple of months later, nine months later, looking down into these gorgeous big brown eyes and I could just see my mom. And it was the most amazing, beautiful. So Naomi was born and she's just, yeah, the embodiment of what my mom was. You know, um, she actually loves the same thing. Very, very arty. My mom was very arty. I'm not at all. Um, people pass on. Everyone comes to her, loves her. So in a weird way, I feel like, yeah, in a weird way, there was a rebirth that took place then. <laughs> you know, in Kenya, when, you, when you're dead, people celebrate your life and they'll think about it. And it's so funny. So my mom died, but I wasn't there. And when my sisters were explaining how my mom's death was, my mom and my auntie were married in the same homestead. So they were married to brothers. So everyone knew them like, uh, those are the two ladies who were married from whatever village it is and they say so when someone dies people will come from far away to come and mourn the death of um, the person who's and then they'll also be singing dodges and remembering things about them so my sister tells me of a story of this lady who came to my mom's funeral and she was crying from the gate to the homestead and really crying and she said oh my god I've lost my best friend and all that and then after crying she sat down and my sister overheard her next to someone and she, she said so who's dead is it Hilda or is it Naomi <laughs> She didn't know who she was mourning. So one of the things I would hope when I'm gone is people know who they're mourning first. <laughs> Eva's story was produced by Richard Latto. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile In My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.